Amen. Amen. Good job, guys. Man, I just got to, you know, give a shout out to you parents because I feel like, and I could be wrong, maybe my parents are saying I'm wrong, I feel like I would not have had the boldness to sing a cappella. Like, that's kind of daily. The other night at CG3, I figured I'd get the kids, right, because I give away candy all the time. I was like, I got one. This one will get them for sure. And I said, okay, I'll give away a candy bow to whatever kid wants to come up here and sing a cappella, the song of my choice. And I'm like, nobody's going to raise their hand for this. There's no way as a child I would have raised my hand for that, like never. I mean, I'd do anything except sing a cappella. And Adam raises his hand immediately. And I'm like, okay, come on up, let's see. And I can't remember what song I asked this guy to sing. What was it? Silent Night. I'm like, okay, you can sing Silent Night a cappella. And I'm like, this dude's going to wimp out. Nope, grabs a microphone and just sings a cappella, like nails it. And I'm like... Well, you know, here's your candy bar. Have a, have a good trip, you know, like, thanks for coming. But, man, let me tell you what, we have a good time down there. I love working with the kids, and I love just seeing, you know, their personalities. But not only that, but seeing them grow spiritually and to see the steps that they're taking and, and uh, seeing them grow to know the Savior um, and, and build that close relationship with them. That'll be foundational as they move on uh, throughout life. And great job tonight, guys, acapella, and they nailed it. That was an awesome Awesome job. I'm excited about tonight's uh, a message for you guys, and I, and I hope that you enjoy it. You know, there's always that, that group, and they're all about, you know, this Bible story or that Bible story. You have, like, your David fanatics, and it's, it's one in the life of David somewhere, whether it's when he killed a giant or, you know, his mighty men or, or hiding from Saul. They always got this one story, and it's from the life of David. Or you, or you have these other stories like, okay, Gideon is obviously, you know, the best Bible story that there ever was, or, or maybe Samson or this or that, and, and everybody's got their favorite Bible story. You know, for Brother Greg, it's the life of Joseph or studying in Sunday school. And you can see the passion he has for the story when he teaches um, and, and does a great job, Jeremy as well. But for me, I never, like, had a Bible story. Like, that was my Bible story. I didn't know what Bible story. People be like, what's your favorite Bible story? And I'm like, I mean, all of them, right? They're all good. Or uh, I don't know, maybe, you know, throw something out off the wall no one thinks about, you know, like the crucifixion is my favorite Bible story. Everybody's like, wait, what? I mean, but I never had something that I could consistently say. Hey, this is my favorite Bible story. This is a Bible story that I just love and I can get behind and I can see and I can relate to and, and then, you know what, as I got a little bit older, I started getting drawn to this one Bible story, and, and it's without a doubt where I'm at now. If there's one Bible story that I can read on repeat every morning again and again and again, and if there's one Bible story that I relate to, and that I really think the church relates to extremely well, it is the Bible story that we see painted out through the book of Nehemiah. As we see Nehemiah taking the group uh, and heading back to Israel and rebuilding the walls. And now for some of you guys, you're like, you got Gideon and you got David and you have all these nice war stories and you have all these huge successes and these huge miracles and you pick out of the whole Bible, let me make sure I'm hearing you right, you pick Nehemiah. And I do, I, I do. I just really connect with that story. And I love the story that the life of Nehemiah paints out. And tonight, following Vision Sunday, I want to take a quick peek at the life of Nehemiah, and really what I'm going to do, and I'm going to tell you all a Bible story up here tonight. I'm going to tell you a Bible story a lot the same way I would downstairs. Yeah, I have main points and stuff like that that we'll move through, but I want to draw from this Bible story, from the life of Nehemiah, some principles that I believe apply directly to us as we move forward into the new year. Let's pray, and then I'm so excited to dive into everything that God has for us in his world tonight. 
God, we want to thank you for the opportunity uh, once again to be in your house. And I thank you, God, for the opportunity to stand behind the pulpit and to share from your word. Now, God, we know that distractions are abundant and that so many things happen to pull our attention away from you. And we ask that, God, you would be with us. And for the next 30 or 45 minutes, you would draw our attention together on the word of God and on the message that you have for us, God. I pray you would empty me myself, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Allow me to communicate only the things, God, that you would have me communicate. And allow those present tonight and watching online to receive, God, from you what they need to hear, that we may all grow to be closer to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Now, at this point, it's only when I hit you with the text passage, so grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Nehemiah. There's not one verse that we're going to look at tonight. You can't do it. The story's too long. I mean, so we're going to be, we won't use the whole book, but we'll use the majority of the book, all right? I'm just going to read it straight through, and then, you know, we'll get to the message. No, kidding, obviously. But I want to show you the story, and I'm going to uh, basically give you the short version, the summed up version, the compact version, and then we're going to dive into piece by piece. So this is what happens. Nehemiah is the king's cupbearer, right? You remember this, you guys heard the stories, but let's get on page together. He's the king's cupbearer, and he gets forward that the walls at Jerusalem are torn down, and they're no good. They're still laying on the ground. And he prays to God, and after that prayer, God gives him the opportunity to speak with the king. And when speaking to the king, Nehemiah has the opportunity. The king says, what do you need? How much do you need? When do you need it? How long will you be gone? And really, this king now gives a slave of his the opportunity to travel back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, and that's what he does. And throughout the building of the walls, you see extreme leadership capabilities pictured by the life of Nehemiah, a phenomenal leader and someone who knew exactly how to get people motivated to get things accomplished. That's not what we're looking at tonight. That's just a good point. If you want to be a good leader, study Nehemiah. But he goes back. He studies the wall. He surveys the wall. Obviously, they begin building the wall. Problems arrives left and right, left and right. And then the end of the book of Nehemiah, congratulations, the wall is built. Now then, we could stop and go home. But instead, let's take a peek a little bit deeper into not tonight Nehemiah. Not tonight what Nehemiah so much did. But let's take a specimen study from the book of Nehemiah and look at the people that were involved in following Nehemiah's leadership and in building the wall. And let's draw the application of how we can follow through our leadership here in the church together and see God do great things in 2022. So right off the bat as we dive in, Nehemiah chapter number 2 is where we're going to be. And the first thing that happens in this story, Nehemiah heads to Jerusalem. The first place that we see the people get involved is when the people are presented with the vision. Nehemiah goes and looks at the wall, and then he comes back to the people, and he said this. This is uh, Nehemiah chapter number 2, verse number 17. You can read it there with me. And he said, Then I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Now, if we want to do a work for God, and if we want to be used to build a work for God, the first thing we have to do is we have to see the vision. I build houses, right? And I can, I can build a random house. Uh, I can just nail some boards together and stand some stuff up. But if you come to me and you say, this is the home I want built, and I say, okay, let's, you know, get building it. The first thing I'm going to be looking for before I look for anything else, all you other contractors know this, is some blueprints somewhere. Like, listen to that one and probably stop now. Terry, that was the five minutes you should have been awake for. Right there. All right, next up, back to Nehemiah and the story there. Nehemiah chapter number two. 
We see how the people respond to the vision. They hear the vision, and then we see that they prepare for the vision. Preparation is so, so key. By a raise of hand, how many of you, due to poor preparation, have looked like total idiots in life? Okay? My hand's up. Yeah, it's me. I've had, I've had college speeches that I thought were going to be easy. And so I don't prepare. No lie, there was this one speech. I can't remember what it was for. But there was like three requirements that you had to have in this speech, and it's like two minutes long. Now, y'all know me. Talking for two minutes is like nothing. I'm not studying for that. I'll talk for two minutes straight like nothing. And I didn't study. And I gave my speech. I thought, that's a good speech. That was two solid minutes of talking. I was confident, good gestures. That's it. Guess what? Your boy got O of three of the required ingredients in the speech because somebody didn't do any preparation. I decided, a, like a couple weeks ago, I was going to get into coyote hunting. I was like, this is going to be fun. I'm going to do some predator hunting. And I went out like three times to go predator hunting, and the amount of research I did was none. You want to know what happened? I laid in a freezing cold field with a dying rabbit sound, and that's it. Looking around in the dark, waiting on an alleged coyote to appeal, and I guess, you know, just stand there and wait on me to, sh I don't know. I was, I was just laying out though. So I changed some things up, watched some YouTubes, actually studied. Guess what happens? First night out, here comes Mr. Coyote. Why? Well, preparation does matter. How many of you guys wake up for work in the morning and just leave without your coffee? Like, that's not a good way to prepare for the day. That's automatic failure. But a lot of times we don't prepare for the work of the Lord. That's the last thing that we're going to prepare ourselves for. But when we see here, the people heard the vision, and they didn't just say, well, I can't wait to start building the walls. <clears throat> Guess we'll start that next week. Yeah. No, they began immediately preparing, and they did it in two ways. First off, Nehemiah chapter number 2, verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken unto me. That's when the king said, take whatever you need. And they said, let us rise up and build. Now, I want to pause for a second. Look at that little, little phrase right there, let us rise up. What that phrase right there means is that they were showing commitment to the plan to build, to rise up. How many of you guys have this habit? Okay, let's assume it's a Saturday afternoon, sunny Saturday afternoon, in the middle of summer. And the trash needs to be taken out. Okay, everyone with me? We are also enjoying a nice relaxing time, chilling in the recliner. We're watching, you know, something on TV or pursuing a hobby or something like that. No real ambition. And then we begin to review uh, necessary requirements, you know, for manhood, and we say, I think I'm going to take a trash out. Okay? That's good. Good start. Now, how many of you guys have made that statement and continued to chill on the couch? You're like, yeah, commercial break, I'm going to take a trash out. And commercial break goes around, and you're like, I don't think anyone hold that. And so you wait till it starts again, you say, I got to watch this part of the game, but commercial break, I really got to get that trash. 
but you didn't get up. You're just sitting there. And commercial break rolls around, and you're like, after this game, after this game, I'm going to get the trash. i got to get the trash out. Like, trash stinks. i got to get it out. At this point, your wife's probably like, yeah, you need to get the trash out, okay? And you're like, okay, I get it, yeah. And the game ends, and you're like, you only get one Saturday a week, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Might as well go have a nap. <laughs> Been walking hard, kind of tired, and you go to sleep, and then you, like, wake up. It's like 10 minutes to joke, and you're like, I got to get the trash out. But, I mean, dinner's ready, so I'll eat. And after dinner, it's, man, that trash has got to go, but it's dope. i tell you what I do. I will get that trash. I will get that trash first thing in the morning, okay, and I'll take it out. Right? But we never show no commitment. No, we sat on the couch the whole time, or we walk to the bed to take a nap, and then, you know, we walk to the table and eat, and then it's dope. So you can't take the trash out in the dark. We've all been there. But when I'm sitting on the couch and I say, I think I'm going to take a trash out, and I then proceed to stand up, I rise up from my resting location, there's a lot better chance that since I've shown some commitment, I'll walk to the trash can, bag up the trash, and throw the trash away. The, the problem is, a lot of times we hear a good idea and we think to ourselves, I'm going to be part of that good idea. That vision, that part of the vision, when dad was laying it out, you know, I did get excited about that one part. I thought to myself, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be part of that this year. That, is, that one's mine. And then you went home and you didn't tell nobody. You haven't told anybody yet, but you are sincerely planning to be part of it. I'm not saying y'all aren't sincere, but I'm saying if you're anything like me, probably what's going to happen is you're going to keep waiting on a commercial break to get signed up, and then the event's going to be here, and you're going to be like, hmm, um, hmm, well, I didn't sign up, missed it, ah, maybe 2023, because we don't show no commitment. The first thing that people said is, okay, let us rise up. Let us show some commitment to the project. Nehemiah said, this is what needs to be built. This is what needs to be done. And as a church, today we hear, this is what I, as the leader, am striving for the church to do. This is what I believe God has for the church to do in 2022. And we're like, that sounds awesome. But we didn't make no commitment. He's saying, what are you saying? I'm saying this. If you thought, when he said this, this, and this, I thought, I want to be a part of that. Or God laid something on your heart. Or maybe you had a vision that wasn't presented this morning that you want to see implemented to the church. What is vital, 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 vital in seeing that vision come to be in the end is committing to it now. And what that looks like is, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know when such and such comes around, I want to be part of that. Hey, pastor, when you're talking about this, I just want to let you know I'm committed to helping out with that. If you, if you need help with that, call on me. Hey, pastor, you mentioned that. I'm going to let you know. I, I'll take care of that one. That one's mine. And we show some commitment. Now, what that does is, when we have the tendency just to continue watching till the end of the game and take a nap and avoid, 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 procrastinate, and then say it's too late, what that does is it allows ourselves to be accountable to leadership. 
so that we can be involved in the world. First off, they hear the vision, they commit to it. But second off, they strengthened their hands. They say, let us rise up and build, so they strengthened their hands for this good work. What does that mean? Um, how many of you guys have ever been doing construction with somebody and they get splinters from code board, it seems like? I mean, they got these baby hands. I'm talking about baby hands. Aaron did not just point at me. And I've seen people get splinter after splinter after splinter with this stuff. And I'm like, dude, you're going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to be the guy that's wearing gloves on the job site because we can't keep pausing for you to do splinter removal again, okay? Because you got these baby hands out here. you never done nothing, and you're going to try to work with these baby hands. These people said, okay, we're going to be building a wall. Let's strengthen our hands for the job. Let's make sure that we are prepared to do the job. Building a wall back then is not an easy task. And they didn't just, you know, loosey-goosey roll into this and hope everything worked out. They didn't, you know, just, oh, I'll see y'all boys Monday morning. <laughs> I'm going to go rest up and not do it. No, they strengthened their hands. They prepared. Now, this is the thing. In any area of life that we want to succeed outside of religion, humans have a natural desire to prepare. In fact, when we are unprepared, unpreparedness is actually one of the main things that lead to anxiety and performance. We want to feel prepared. The same level of preparedness could result in an awesome job or a terrible job solely based upon my opinion of how prepared I am. For someone who never studies, who studies for half an hour for a test, feels prepared and with great confidence will roll into a test and probably do pretty well. For someone like me who endlessly studies over tests for hours and hours and hours and still feels unprepared, if I only study 30 minutes, due to my fall of unpreparedness, I will probably fail the test. Okay? Humans have the desire to be prepared. And in all areas of life, we strive to be prepared. But let me ask you this, and then we're going to simply move on to the next point, and I'm going to leave you guys with this to think through. When is the last time that you made a conscious decision to do something to prepare yourself for the service of the Lord? Let me ask you again. When is the last time you made the conscious decision to do something to prepare yourself for the service of the Lord? For most of us, you're like, well, doesn't my devotions count? Um, yes, I mean, being close to God is part of it. Well, doesn't my prayer life count? Yes, your, your prayer life is part of it. But when you're thinking about creating opportunities to serve the Lord, when is the last time you said, okay, I'm going to do something like FBI to deepen my understanding of the Bible. I'm going to do something like join a men's Bible study group so that I can understand more. When is the last time you said, I don't feel like a teacher now, but I'm going to work on studying out teaching? So that if the opportunity arises for me to teach someone, I'll be able to fulfill that. How many of you say, okay, I've heard the vision, I've committed to something. If you haven't committed to something, you've got to commit to something, or you're going to be the dude that doesn't do anything. Okay, that's just what it is. If you don't commit, you're probably not going to do anything. So let's go ahead and hear the vision, commit to the vision, and then prepare to fill the spot that we've committed to. No matter what that spot is. Whether you say, okay, I feel like making a financial commitment. Okay, then start preparing now to make that commitment happen. You say, I'm making a time commitment. Start rearranging your schedule to make that commitment 
happen because as we make commitment, the people then prepare. They said, let us rise up and build, and then they strengthen their hand. In the same way, we hear the vision, we commit to do something, and we strengthen our hands to do it. Next off, I want to show you that they build the vision. They do it, man. That's awesome. These people come from nowhere, come from slavery, come back to their hometown, and then they build the vision. First off, I want to show you that they share it in the world. Now, if you have your Bible there, go ahead and throw your eyes over at chapter number three. What I want you to do is pick any verse, read any verse, because they're all basically the same. The names just change. Okay? I'm going to read uh, verse number seven. And next unto them repaired uh, Melatai, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marianite, and the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpath, unto the throne of the governor on this side of the river, next unto him, so forth and so on. Now, if you picked any verse in chapter number three of Nehemiah, you had something similar. Mr. So-and-so prepared this area, and next to him, so-and-so worked, and next to him, so-and-so worked. And the Bible records who worked where on the wall. Um, I don't, I'm not quite sure, you know, the extreme need, but I do know it's needful. I'm using it in this way, so maybe it's in there just for this part of the message. What does it show? What you will not find in here is that Nehemiah built the wall entirely. What you will not find in here is a name repeated. What you will not find in here is where one person was doing everything. What you will find in here is that collectively they shared the work. Everyone that was present took on a job somewhere on the wall. And it's recorded for us right here in chapter number three. All it says is so-and-so did this, so-and-so did that, so-and-so did that. Next to them, this family did that, this family did that, this family did that. Next to them. Now, how cool would it be if someone came and sat down and was talking to that and said, okay, so who really does the ministry in your church? Who is it that's really serving and giving? And he said, huh, let me show you something. Turns around and he pulls out the membership roster and he said, here you go. Now you read off the names and I'll tell you where they serve. Because everybody is involved in serving. If the wall would have never been built, if Nehemiah would have rolled in with all the king's letter and all the lumber and all of everything, and he said, okay, let's build the wall. And people like Aaron Brown said, hmm, no, y'all build a wall, I'm a watch from right here. <laughs> Bye. It wouldn't have happened. The only reason the wall was built in the miraculous, I think it was 52 days. A whole city, a whole wall, built without power, tools, and equipment. Wrap your mind around that. The reason it happened was because everyone was part of something. Some of y'all did see that calendar, and deep down, y'all were like, oh. Because you're the guy that does 110% of everything. Because the load's not shared. But if we all get involved in everything, then we can see something as miraculous as the wall built in 50 days happen right here in Marburg. And we can see the vision that was presented this morning take place for the glory of God. But also, and this is about to be the quickest point. I'm just going to say it and move on. They had a mind to work. Nehemiah chapter number 4, verse number 6. So, we, so built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof. Why? For the people had a mind to work. Let me sum up. No one was lazy to present my passion. Lazy people anger me the most out of all people types. Don't be lazy in your church, okay? You get fired if you're lazy at your job. You can't be fired from religion. 
but you could do battle. So moving on. I just want to leave that though. So we will. Okay, on to the fun stuff that I like. Okay. Next off, they defend the vision. They defend the vision. Now this one probably catches you a bit off guard because if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. Nehemiah says, let's build the wall. And then there's all those kings down there in the plain that continuously come up. And at first they mock the wall. And then they try to fight against the wall. And then they try to tear the wall down. And then they're going to evade the wall. And they have all these plans. And then they just try to call Nehemiah down into the plain. And all these attempts. And so that's what you guys are thinking about. And you're like, last time I checked, no one came into the church and tried to disturb the ministry. No one came in and tried to ruin what we were doing. No one came into the church mocking what was going on. Good. Congratulations. You're probably right. You figured it out. But I want to show you guys why tonight we just like they did in Nehemiah have to defend the vision. And it's not from anybody, but it is from Satan. A lot of times we overlook the fact that just like then, Satan was involved in stopping the ministry. There he used kings in the plain. A lot of times here his tactics may be different. But let me show you this. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The service we should enjoy the most I think Vision Sunday. The service that Satan hates the most and will be sure to attend, Vision Sunday. Because everything that we're up here saying we're going to try to do, he immediately begins game planning and committing to undercut. Immediately. He's like, oh, they want to do this and they want to do that. Every month had something going on, so let's just start knocking these off one month at a time. Let's start throwing wrenches in their plan. And you're like, oh, Satan is not that big of a deal. Like, we don't give him enough credit for the bad things that he does. He will absolutely, totally love ruining everything that we have planned. And then what we'll do is we'll look back and say, man, 2022 could have been a little better, but just things didn't work out. No. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. God has given the church a vision. If we are committing to the vision, okay, and if we are strengthening our hands and preparing for the vision, we're working together and we're sharing the load, friends. That's great. But there comes a point when we still have to defend the vision. Because Satan will be very active, maybe through people, maybe through our own personal walk with God, but he will be very active in doing everything that he can to shortcut and to knock out the people that are committed and faithfully serving God. The more people that he can affect and the more active he can be in the ministry of the church, the less powerful God can use our church to accomplish things. And we must defend it. Let's see how they defended their work and learn from it. First off, and what we all should be doing, they prayed for protection. Nehemiah 4, verse number 9, Nevertheless, we made our prayer. The kings are saying we're going to come fight you guys and we're going to tear this whole thing down and you're going to look stupid for trying. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. First thing they did, they, all these kings, Sam Ballot and his buddies, say, hey, nice idea with the wall. 
sorry to be the bearer of bad news. We already have walls and armies and all that, and we're just going to come kick your wall down. They say if a fox runs up it, it will fall, and it's not going to stop us either. We're just going to come in, and we're going to kill all you guys, and so your wall's done. And they didn't freak out. They didn't pause. They didn't say, oh, no. They were aware of the threat, just like we are aware that Satan is trying to stop what we're doing. And the first step they took was to pray. Guys, the first step we take in defending the ministries of this church is to pray. Every day, God, protect the church, protect the ministries of the church. God, I pray that you would bless our church. Bless God, the work that you're trying to do in 2022, we know Satan is out to destroy it. And God, we pray that you would bless the world. Pray for the people in the church. Oftentimes we pray collectively, God bless the ministry of the church. But are we praying for the people that perform the ministry of the church? I'm not talking about me, Dad, Pastor Kent, although we cherish your prayers. I'm talking about each other. We have got to pray, God, help them today. God, help them today. By name, praying and praying and praying. Things that I always looked up to and admired from my grandfather, dad's dad that passed away, is that every time you get there, every time you see him, he would shake your hand and say, hey, good to see you, give you a hug. And then he would say this, I've been praying for you and your wife, your baby, your other baby. And he didn't just mean like, I occasionally pray for you. Every morning, throughout the day, in the evening, prayed, not just for me and my family or dad and his, people that he's met once or twice and said that he would pray for them, and there he is praying for them. That kind of prayer is what a church that is going to accomplish a work for God needs. Praying for the protection of each other, because Satan is out there as a roaring lion. But next off, they set a watch. They set a watch. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto God and set a watch. How do we set a watch? How do we set a watch against Satan? You're like, he's not just going to, you know, roll in. In their case, they set a watch actually watching for enemy soldiers. So what does it look like for me to set a watch against Satan. David, a man after God's own heart, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. You say, what are you saying by that? How, what do you mean? If you want to set a watch and say, I want to watch, make sure that Satan doesn't interfere with the work of the ministry this year in this church, what does that look like? God, search me. Know me. Where am I at? The truth is, a lot of times, we don't recognize the distance that we've allowed to become between us and God. A lot of times, we justify due to reasons or lack of spirituality. And I'm not talking about your church attendance or your Sunday school attendance. 
or your Bible reading plan or your prayer life. I'm talking about your relationship with God has began to drift apart. Relationship is not represented with the things that we do, but in who we know. And oftentimes we stop knowing God. And we need to come to the place where we say, God, search me and know me. I find it crazy that Satan always knows exactly when to attack. If you look with me in Nehemiah verses 4, 10, and 11, the Bible says this, And Judah said, The strength of the barrel of burdens is decayed, and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. There's rubbish in the way. The strength of the barrel of burdens, the guys carrying the rubbish off, is gone. And at that moment, exactly, and our adversaries said, they shall not know, neither see till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to seek, cease. Friend, in our low moment, in our tired moment, in our weak moment, in our distracted moment, our adversary says, we'll go in, let's go attack them right now while they're tired, while they can't fight. And we'll take their spirituality and slay it and cause the work to cease. Again, in Nehemiah, it was soldiers coming in to actually kill people. But in our case, are we protecting our hope and saying, God, search me and know me? Because Satan will choose a good time. And he'll do anything he can to get you just to drift apart a little bit. And in that little bit of drifting in my hope and in yours, with that one small move, he has effectively caused the woke and the vision to cease. And finally, and they prayed and they set a watch on their own hope. But then they prepared to fight. They prepared to fight. And it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants fought in the woke. And the other half of them held both the spears and the shields and the bows and the habergons. And the rulers were behind all the house. Of Judah. Verse 17, they which builded on the wall, and they that bear burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. For the builders, every one had his sword goaded by his side, and so built it. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. Wow, that is really interesting to me as you read that. Let me show you guys something. I bought something. Visual learning. This right here. In all of its glory. This is my tool bag. Don't make fun of it. We have a good relationship. We get along just fine. Minimalistic, small. I used to carry a lot bigger tool bag than this. It had like bags, shoulders. And it got in the way. It was too much. And I guess I'm getting old, you know, 22, need less weight. So we moved down to this. I worked with a fame buddy, and uh, he had one of these, and he told me if I tried one, I would never go back. And I was like, $30 investment, we'll try it. And he wasn't wrong. I haven't went back yet. Time will tell. Anyway, I wear this every day. You know, this helps out. This is how I build. Now, with this tight-fitting tool bag that I'm modeling for you guys, normally I have a hammer here, maybe some tin snips or electrical plows. So I, I look like the real deal rolling with this thing. And uh, I can get a lot of work done. If I have to get something that's not in this tool bag or a four-foot level, then I probably, you know, 
don't need it. This is basically, I could just take this and leave my truck. This is what I vote with. Um, and I love it because how slim it is and how tight it is. You can fit between studs, you know. That may not work for you. That is size dependent. But for me, I can fit between studs. Um, I can, you know, climb up and down out of roof rafters and stuff. And I love this tool bag. This is how I work. Now, how many of you guys in Coventry, be honest with me, would say that you could work with this tool bag? Hopefully all of you. Now, how many of you could work with this tool bag and this? Yeah, that ought to do. Um, now, imagine with me, you got your tool bags, or maybe I should put it in the holster over here somehow. Yeah. How about that for modeling? That's pretty nice. I like that. How many of you guys that are in construction think that you could be as efficient with this sword on your tool bags as you are typically? None. That is strange to me. I figured that having a, you know, eight pound, you know, sword would add to the efficiency of the tool bags. Um, but I guess I was wrong. I used to work with Jason. Jason, would you like to have a tool bag sword like this? Yeah. It's because he never wears his tool bags. He doesn't work with his, so that's why I wouldn't bother him. Hanging in a trailer, this would look nice, you know? No, you don't want a sword like this. You can't be efficient with a sword like this. How about this? How many of you guys, picture with me now, driving a nail, okay? Nail, hammer, okay? Is that how you guys do it? You hold the nail and hit it with a hammer? Okay, if not, teach me something, because that's how I do it. Um, that's all I've ever seen done, so I'm open to loan. How many of you guys think that you could do that? Hopefully my sheath don't fall. Like, I guess like this? I don't know. Or maybe you use your sword as your hammer. Because in the Bible it said that they were holding the sword in one hand and working with the other. Okay, now I've chopped off a pinky. And Greg's basically chopped off both hands. Somehow he has them, but when when I lose one hand or this much of a hand, I'm I've I've had you know efficiency issues. I think that's why Greg moved into the desk job. Is hands don't work as good anymore. And if I had to carry this sword around every day in construction, whether in my tool bags or in my hand. I would get into selling cars or something. I would be done with construction. This is not efficient, and this isn't comfortable at all. So tell me why would Nehemiah come up with this great plan to inconvenience every one of his guys to carry a sword around? Imagine the look on my crew's face if I had a big crew and I called him into a safety meeting. I said, guys, uh, I want to let you know there's a little adversity to this project. So out of safety, I had my manager buy each and every one of you guys one of these swords. And I want you to carry it with you every day while you're working on a job for self-defense. Half of you guys, I want to hold it in your hand every day for self-defense while you work. My whole crew's going to be like, dude, bye. You know, I can't work like that. But Nehemiah had him do it. Why? 
because he needed them to be ready to fight. He was okay with inconveniencing everyone, including himself, to be ready to fight. How many of us are okay with inconveniencing ourselves to be prepared to fight Satan's attacks? That could look like inconveniencing yourself to add in a little more consistency to your devotional life or your prayer life. That could look like inconveniencing yourself by saying, maybe there's nothing inherently wrong with this movie or this music or this TV show, but I know for me personally, Satan a lot of times uses it to tempt me for other things or to cause me to be angry, to cause me to do this or that. And so in order to be prepared to fight what Satan's going to try to attack me with, I'm willing to inconvenience myself and let that show or, or that music go. I'm willing to give up whatever it takes to carry around a heavy sword on my tool bags or in my hand every day to give up half of what I can work with, one hand, to be prepared for Satan's attacks. Guys, I think one of the bigger, biggest, biggest, biggest underestimates in the New Testament church, and especially in the generation we live in, is how much we underestimate both the involvement and the power of Satan in the church. In the church. We act. Me too. Me too. We collectively act like he really doesn't care. And like he's never really here. And he's not really going to bother me. Wrong. 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 And you're like, well, I don't see it. Church is still doing things. Everything's fine. Okay. Fair enough. Imagine with me, though, since we know, and pretend that we don't, we know how involved Satan is. Imagine with me if we were actively defending against him through prayer, through personal purity, to sacrifice whatever it may be to be prepared to be involved in the work of God. Imagine how much more powerful the local church could be. How many of you have known somebody in your life? Didn't matter what it was. If he thought doing it or not would draw them closer to God, they did it or didn't. What drove them was simply, will this draw me closer to God, yes or no? And then that is my answer. I've known a few. And let me tell you something. They were close to God. And they were used of God. People that I looked at and I said, man, you are in my top ten to fail. Out. Bad. You're like weird and awkward and I don't even know. I don't even like being around you. You're so weird and awkward and you don't even know how to talk. I mean, me neither, but. And now God is using them in mighty ways. Stuff that shouldn't happen. Doing things that I'm like, you can't hold a conversation one-on-one. And I'm watching videos of what God is using you to do. Man. How often do I, do I not get used? How much am I missing out on? 
because I underestimate Satan's involvement. And therefore, I'm not prepared to defend myself. We got to be on the defense. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not the problem. People need Jesus, but they're not the problem. Satan is 100% the problem, and we have to defend against him. Finally, the vision is completed, right? Obviously, you guys know, good Christians here, the wall is built. There we go. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elul in, the, in 50 and 2 days. I was right, 52 days, they built the whole wall. By the way, heads up, don't know if you got it, that is a miracle, okay? That is a biblical miracle that is humanly impossible, Okay? And they did it in 52 days because, obviously, God was with them. The wall is built. Guess what, guys? You may have heard some things this morning that you say, that for this church is impossible. That for these people is impossible. We're never going to make that happen in that amount of time or in this amount of time. It's not going to happen. But in 52 days, they did what everyone would have said you can't do that. Not to mention also experiencing extreme adversity and having to come up with a military plan and only working with one hand or carrying a huge sword around, they still did it in 52 days. And if we follow through, we hear the vision, we commit to it, we prepare for it, and we defend our hearts against Satan and defend each other against Satan, guys, we can see 2022 vision come to be. We can see what God has for this church, which is far above what we can even ask or think. That means the things that he thought up are not all that God has for us. That means the dreams that God has given to him and to us through him are not as big as what God wants to do. He can do far above all that we can ask and think. And we can see it happen here based on our commitment, based on if we're willing to prepare, based on if we have a mind to work, if we share the labor, are we willing to get all in? Are we really willing to give what it takes? Are we really willing to say that this, this vision that was presented this morning is really worth, it's really worth getting in on? It's really worth pursuing. It's, it's really something I can be part of. Yeah, I know it's going to take sacrifice. And yeah, I know at times it's going to be inconvenient. But this is, maybe I wasn't this morning. But you know, the more I think about it, I am excited about what God's going to do in the church. I want to be part of that. Are you really willing to get involved in your church? To get involved in your church. If you are, this is what can happen. We can see God receive recognition for what this church has done. This is like, this verse absolutely blows my mind. Turn in your Bible to Nehemiah 6. We'll be in verse number 16. And it came to pass when all our enemies heard thereof that the wall was built in 52 days. And all the heathen that were about us, right? Enemies, heathen, that were about us saw these things. They were much cast down in their own eyes. 
For they perceived what? That this work was wrought of God. The Christians didn't brag. It wasn't other people, other Israelites saying, Woohoo, Jerusalem is built. The heathen saw what God had done and said, Wow, that right there, that was God. In this case, they were sad about it because they wanted to destroy it. But I wonder what it would look like in this community right here if at the end of 2022, there might be an unbeliever that says, I don't know if I believe in God or what I believe in. But I can tell you something right now. What that church did this year, that had to come from God. wonder if there would be an atheist that said, I don't fully believe in God, but I believe in something. Because that wasn't man over there. I wonder that there would be a Christian that at the end of 2022 could look at what this church had done for God and would say, I have never been that involved. I'm saved, but I'm not involved. But I just watched God do a miracle in that church. And I want to be part of that next time. Guys, it's up to us. It's up to us. The story easily in Nehemiah could have gone. Nehemiah looks at the wall and he goes and talks to the people. And when he does, he says, this is what I want to do. I want to build the wall back up. And the people could have said, well, good plan. Um, Don't know if you thought about the money. He's like, yeah, I thought about the money. The king said we could have the trees and everything. I don't know if you thought about the amount of work it is. And he's like, yeah, I did. I think that we can build it in, you know, 60 days or less. That's my plan. No. No. Mm-mm. I'm not doing it. Bad plan, bad plan of action. Not interested. Or, hey, you go ahead. You know those few people that want to do it. I'm going to watch. I'm not for it or against it. I'm neutral. Nothing wrong with being neutral, right? Guess what? I genuinely believe that God would have built the wall because that's what he wanted to do. But he wouldn't have done it in 52 days. It wouldn't be my favorite Bible story, and it wouldn't be something that we read about today saying, wow, look what God did. I genuinely believe that 2023 rolls around, unless the Lord's come back on January 9th of the equivalent Sunday night, there'll be a group of people almost just like this, sitting in this building, listening to someone, maybe me, (laughs) lucky y'all, preach. But what I'm not so certain of is we'll be looking back on last year saying, God did a God thing right here. Man, we got involved and we gave what we could give, whether it be time, money, talent. And God just took it and blew our minds and took that vision that, that Dad gave on a Sunday morning, a pastor gave on a Sunday morning, and he multiplied it so much. What I, what I thought was going to be impossible in five years, God did right now. 
or we will be sitting here saying, it was another year. We're all still Christians. We made it. Good job. Round of applause. Congratulations. Maybe next year will be the year that God really uses us to reach our community. The fields are white unto harvest. All that is needed is labels. I love, love, love the story of Nehemiah. Absolutely love it. Because God did a miracle with normal tradespeople in 52 days. And right here in our church is all the ingredients that God needs. I genuinely believe that the world is yet to see what God could do with one man fully committed to him. And I don't think that it's humanly possible to understand what God could do with one church fully committed to him. And I wonder, are we willing to go all in to be that church? We've heard the vision. Are we willing to commit to it? Are we willing to take of our time to prepare for it? To share the load? To work together? To defend our hearts against Satan? To protect each other with prayer? Give up what it could be that's holding us down and see God do great things that the heathen can look at and recognize, man, God did something. It's not just a Bible story. It's not out of reach. It's really not. It's not beyond God to do something here. Dad said this morning, this quote got me. I hadn't heard this one before. He said, a lot of times, the reason that God don't do something is because we believe he can. That is, God's inactivity in our church is simply because we fail to believe that he can or perhaps more frequently will. If we really believe that he will, he really will. Guys, let's do it this year. Let's get excited about the vision. If you're not, go home and pray until you are, because you will be eventually. Maybe take a while, but you will be. And let's really get all in. Let's get all 100% in to seeing God do something right here. Guys, there's no better time. Let's not keep waiting. Let's really do it right now. Let's pray. God, I am super excited about the vision, and I am super excited about what you're doing in the church. And God, I am super excited about everything uh, that we're looking forward to. And God, I think I'm most excited about the fact that I know full well, God, you have even more in store if we will simply submit to you. God, let us loan from Nehemiah. What an awesome story in your word. Let us loan from that. And God, grow into people that you can use. And may we look back on 2022 and say God did a God thing right here in our community. We don't have to look up stories of him doing it somewhere else because he did it right here. God, that's my prayer. Help us to commit, God. Help us to commit. Commit to be involved and go from there. We love you, God. Help us to love you more. And in Jesus' name, amen.